83 is a difficult number. No, is it, is it a significant number? No, no. just oh, counting. Okay. Just amazing we made it to 83. Curious fan, welcome to another kick-ass edition of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, I'm Peter, and as per normal, joined by my two good friends. First, the good Dan Crook with an E. Hello, Dan. Hello. That's all we get is just hello? Yeah, it's just going to be an awkward silence. That's going to be the podcast today. (laughs) That's just filled with Dan Crook's awkward silence. Excellent. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, and um, also your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, the editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzzard. The Awkward Silence might make a great band name. I mean, there's there's <laughs> got to be a band out there called Awkward Silence, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's pretty good. Trade market. Sort of imp- improvisational jazz band or something like yeah, that. Something. There's got to be. Yeah. Okay, well, since the last time we talked, uh, the good little club from Frisco have played a pair of games. Uh, I guess your mileage may vary. First, a rather unusual draw out in Salt Lake, and then last night's super thrilling 2-1 win over Inter-Miami. I don't know how you guys want to talk about these things. I don't know if we should just talk about them in combination instead of trying to break them into two different pieces. I don't know. How do you want to do this, Buzz? Well, they're, they're such different games in style. I think we should at least talk about the differences in, between the two games, and then we can sort of talk big picture, I think. I mean, because that RSL game was really weird. All right, uh, Dan, Buzz called the RSL game weird. I would call it poor. What would you call it? Dulles dishwater. Yeah. Now, this was a weird uh, moment because uh, there was some chat between the three of us or the uh, third-degree uh, chat room that we all inhabit back and forth where uh, some disagreement as to the qualities of this game or the importance of this game or or the value of the tactics that Lucci used in this game. And, and you seem to be defending him quite a bit, Buzz. Yeah, well, there was a lot of people uh, on the interwebs that seemed upset by that game. Uh, and I think it's important to make a distinction that it's perfectly legitimate to say that the performance was poor because I think that's true. But uh, I did not think it was a bad decision. I actually thought it was the correct decision to play a defensive game in Bunker. Now, why do I say that? It's because you're talking about a team who stinks on the road, right? They're 1-4-3 and three now on the road. And they just gotten shelled by a team uh, playing a low block and countering against them. And they showed a lot of deficiencies on the defensive end, which has been their strong suit. So... I wasn't even remotely surprised that Lucci chose to play a bunker sort of scenario and sit deep and try and uh, steal the game basically by by getting a free kick. I mean, clearly Hara and Barrios were playing for free kicks, I thought, and that was the reason why I thought, uh, in hindsight, I thought Jesus started was because he's more of a guy that can hold it a little bit than, say, Fafa, who just runs. You know, so some all those things spoke to me that 
Lucci was playing to steal a point or steal a game late with some kind of thing. And, and regardless of how you think they played and regardless of how you think Salt Lake played, it worked. That's what happened. So, uh, you know, points on the road is a positive thing. Tie on the road, win at home, right? That's what happens this week. So I don't think that you or me or anyone else should be mad at Lucci because they played defensive. We're mad that they didn't play well. That's a completely different story. Yeah, I, I, that's the thing that I think is the differentiator here is you can play uh, on the road, you know, defensive tactic, but it was just the overall performance that just kind of be just kind of is a continuation of just the overall form of the team that we've seen that just kind of smells like no matter how they choose to play aggressive, uh, submissive, whatever, it's just that there's a lot of poor play going on that is, I think, really what disappoints people. Yeah, I mean, on the offensive end, that's been true for a long time. And the defensive end, those two games clearly said to me, uh, indicated to me how important Matt Hedges is and how much he carries that defense. Because when you put Reto Ziegler and, and Brisson both in there, they're both remarkably slow. And so your defense gets torn apart. And I think the RSL game is a response to that. Um, now, they didn't. They had the same problem they had against uh, Nashville, which is their when they don't have hedges in there, for, for some reason, everybody sits deep and plays off and doesn't close down. And you allow shooters time to shoot. That's never good. That's why you get deflected shots that go in. That's why you don't play well. It's because you're not playing aggressive defensively like you do when you have met hedges. So, you know, those same games defensively are an aberration because you didn't have your best guy and, and they got through them, you know, might at least salvaged a point in the second one. Now, the offensive ineptitude, that continues, and that's obviously the major flaw this entire season. The offense has been horrible, you know, but um, it, at least at least Lucci had enough uh, tactical awareness to recognize how bad his defense is without hedges and try and make an adjustment. Okay, but Dan, am I, am I just being pessimistic and a downer to say the only reason why Dallas didn't flat-out lose that game in Salt Lake is because Real Salt Lake literally can't finish a sandwich? Um, no, I mean, you know, when, when the team restricts them to pretty much two-thirds of their shots from outside the box, granted that's two-thirds of eight million shots. No, hold um, on, wait a second. This is and the, Now, this is the crux of the back and forth that Buzz and I got into in the chat group is, yeah, okay, they forced a bunch of shots from outside, but Salt Lake had, no question, three tap-in goals within the first 30 minutes of the game that they should have scored to make it at least one two, three, nothing, and they blew all three of them. Those are the three that I'm talking about. Oh, for sure. The uh, the one at the back post where Matey Boy just uh, missed the open goal and, and, and smacked it off the post. Uh, yeah, I mean, Jim, how about Jimmy the guy? Well how him. about the guy at the right post who, who had a wide open uh, net and he hit it so hard and so wickedly it went out for a throw in? Do you remember that one? Not off the top of my head. Oh, I think their right back came running in on a free ball in the box, and he just tried to murder it to death, and he actually put it out for a throw-in, and he should have scored all day, all night. And then, of course, the last one is a nice Morrow reaction save on the header. That was a nice save, though. Just look at the positives. Come on. Well, look, let's be honest. Everybody in MLS can't finish. If you if the guys could finish, they wouldn't be a major league soccer, except for maybe Joseph Martinez, and then he just carries you to an MLS Cup. Real Salt Lake has the same number of goals scored as FC Dallas. We've just talked about how crap Dallas's offense is. RSL's offense is crap. They can't finish, so it's a calculated 
tactic to play defensively with, and try and make them have shots from a longer distance when they're a crap shooting team. I mean, they didn't score, but yeah, they're not good at it. That's okay. part of the Perfect. Plan. All right. So, but what was the tactical change Lucci made at halftime or what was the, I don't know, um, motivational change that he instilled in the team that actually made them play better in the second half and in, in Salt Lake. We're still in the Salt Lake game. Here. Yeah. Well, a big part of it was they brought Hedges in. I mean, that was he didn't come on at halftime, but they brought him in, you know, at some point in the second half. The other big change they made at halftime was they took Jesus off and put Fafa Pico on, which gave you a second player that was capable of attempting to make them sit back on their heels. And you ended up with instead of a team looking for a hold up and a slow build out with your team to get up to the front, they, they tried to go a little more vertical and play off of Hara into those spaces that made Salt Lake sit back just a little bit. And then Dallas took possession of the ball and they brought Hedges in and that locked things down. And then RSL didn't have a shot in the second half. Still played, Dallas did, a relatively defensive game. It was a little more towards a mid-block than a deep low block. But mm-hmm. they still weren't playing high-end Lucci ball, possession Lucci ball, right? It was still different, no. you know? No. So, I mean, obviously they didn't get it 100% right in the first half. And obviously some of the performances were not good. Whatever changes Lucci said to them in the locker room and bringing on Fafa and then bringing on Hedges worked. I mean, the team got better with those substitutions and they, I thought, earned a point and had a really good chance to win that game over the last however many minutes. Of course, they can't finish either, so they didn't. <laughs> but, but at least they gave themselves the opportunities. That's what we've talked about before, Peter, about you know they, they, they had moments that were decent. You know, They just didn't get enough of them to be able to win the game. All right, so we'll we'll uh, I want to put a longer term pin in this because we'll talk a little bit more about Jesus in relation to the Inter Miami game here in a second. But he did start that game as a winger in, in front of Fafa Pico. Uh, is there since we're talking about that game, do we want to mention anything about Jesus first forty five minutes of the RSL game? Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I think the idea was he played as a false nine, and his average position ended up being like a legit linking eight like he was all the way back like in the middle of the midfield so effectively it wrecked the the 433 and turned it into a some kind of 442 um but as i said i think the idea was to have him and hara hold up play and then either draw fouls or let mikey try and get a fluke break in you know so that was part of the plan now i don't think hasty did a very hasty did a very good job of that you know and there's a there's I don't think anyone was surprised that he got lifted. It was a particularly poor performance and they brought Pico in to give them a little more verticality, which again, I thought that was the good move. So um, for me, that was like, that was one of the low points of Jesus all season was that RSL game. Believe it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It did. I find it, it kind uh, of funny. Um, after the game that the press conference and asked Alicia, like, Hey, so, uh, you know, what did it come down to starting Jesus after uh, uh, over Fafa? Cause I was thinking, you know, Jesus would come off of, probably the worst performance of his career and then put in the worst performance of his career. And, and Lucci was like, oh, he had a strong game last time. I'm like, what? No. Yeah, he, he, you know, we've talked about this endlessly. Whatever that relationship between Jesus and Lucci is, it's a strong one. And, and there, <laughs> I, I, at this point, is there any consideration that Jesus is ever going to not play in a game no matter how good or bad he plays? Uh, I've, I've gotten to the point where I don't think so. I think he'll keep a spot. It's just a question of what spot he'll keep. Um, and, you know, and, and we'll come to it in a minute. And I think the inner game, inner game makes that even more true. 
strangely. Anything else about the RSL game that we need to cover then, since it was pretty drab and a one, you know, uh, kind of a zero zero. It was another game where the team didn't score too, by the way. Yeah. I think the one thing is, you know, we're talking about like the value of the point and defending well. The part that, that I didn't like was, you know, we talked about those changes, putting FC Dallas on the front foot. They were firmly on the front foot. And it, it was almost like they, you know, they they seeded the, the chance to win the game to protect the point, which I, I know, uh, you know, you think with your head, not your heart, right? Logically, that's that's a smart thing to do. That helps with with your points per game and everything else. It's just we all like to see attacking soccer and and three points where it's um, home or away. And it's just uh, that aspect of it kind of great a little bit. My only final thought is that um, it was related to what Dan just said, is that there's a difference between being defensive and not choosing to play with fight and tenacity. And I thought they did lack that a little bit in the first half and, and maybe some chairs were thrown at halftime and snapped him out of it, perhaps. I mean, I have no idea. But um, I, I would like to see a little more fight from the get-go. And it, it's funny, I, I I look at that team and I think, who was missing that made them so flat? And really, all I can ever come back to is hedges. I don't I don't see a lot of other people on this team that uh, are 100% like balls in on battling as hard as possible other than hedges. Maybe it's Thiago Santos, but... Um, Oh, Fafa you know, is it's just the end product isn't necessarily there with Fafa. Yeah, well, he didn't start that game, so maybe that was part of why they were so flat was him not being in there. Uh, and so the other thing I was thinking about uh, that game was another performance of uh, Ricarte, and I and I and, and Ricarte may be the, the nice segue between uh, the Salt Lake and the Miami game. Just a couple of minutes on where he played positionally in the Salt Lake game. And your thoughts, Buzz, on his performance that night? Yeah, there's a progression that's happening with Ricarte that's uh, since he's come here when he was, you know, going to be this playmaking 10 and all that kind of stuff. Um, and the Inter game, which we'll talk about in a minute, is the final progression of it because the RSL game definitely looked like he was no longer a 10. It was, a, it was definitely a Santos um, single uh, pivot with Tessman and Ricarte both playing more as eights a deep kind of eights not a high eight so you really don't know almost ended up with three guys in that same sort of window um Ricarte does not seem to want to occupy the hole he doesn't want to play as a pure 10 he wants to play deep and so that's kind of a I mean I, I remember when we signed him I we when Lucci signed him or Andre uh Zanata signed him I can talk about the right people signing him not me I had nothing to do with it um I talked about the video he looked almost like a linking eight because he kept coming from really deep. And and the more he plays here, the more that's the case. Yeah. You know, this is interesting because I don't, have you, did either one of you get to watch the broadcast last night? Uh, No, I was in the stands. Okay. Dan, have you watched the broadcast by chance? I didn't know if you came home and watched it, Buzz. Okay. Well, the reason why this is interesting is because uh, the good Steve Davis actually talked about this at quite a bit of length in the game uh, last night in that he, uh, and I don't remember how this idea that Ricarte was the next Mauro Diaz or a Mauro Diaz-like ta- uh, a positional player uh, ever came to the forefront. He says he's never been that. He was never intended to be that. He is a more of a box-to-box midfielder. 
And that's really why the and I and I'm paraphrasing here, and I don't want to. I'm not trying to uh, quote him word for word, but ostensibly he was just repeating what you said for a long time, Buzz, which is, um, look, guys, he's not Mauro Diaz. He's a he's a box to box midfield. He's a connector, a linker. He's not going to put shots on goal, and he's not uh, he's not that kind of guy. Um, he's more of connecting front to back type of guy. And I thought to myself, well, that's good because that's really the position he's been playing of late. Um, but isn't that why they got Brian Acosta? Wouldn't that Brian Acosta's position? And then the last part of that was if all of the players in the roster were, were available, what would the starting three midfielders be for Lucci and what positions would they be playing? Well, I, I think some of it comes from the fact that they gave him the number 10. I know that sounds simplistic, but a lot of people look at that number and think playmaker, you know, think attacking mid. Um, and the fact that he wore it down in Columbia made people think that, you know, there's a mystique to that. And then I, I, I can't quote you anything, but I feel like the general publicity angle from FC Dallas with his signing was this new playmaker was coming in, this new attacking mid was coming in. Mm-hmm. And as you say, I looked, watched, it was a two minute video of his highlights. And I'm, I thought to myself, that dude's not a 10. That guy's yeah. an eight. He's an eight. Yeah. I mean, maybe eight. he's a De Bruyne or free eight or whatever you want to call it. So it's like, I didn't see a 10, but I was like, well, okay, I get, they're saying he's a 10. I mean, okay. But you know, from the get go, he's wanted to, not be that um well jesus plays that position of like darting in there and then diaz would sort of sit and shoot passes rather than going at people so there's lots of different kinds of tens but um you know in terms of how it fits luci's system we've talked for a long time about luci's system not using a 10 that you know the the two versions of it are either a double pivot which is a deep six with a deep eight and then sort of a a guy that looks like a 10, but plays more like a, an eight uh, ahead of them, more, more of a free eight. Well, we called it with Paxton, if you recall, but the, the more common version is the single pivot, which is Santos. And then two eights. One of them is a more of a traditional eight, like Acosta. Normally that's who it has been, except he keeps getting hurt. And then the other one's this higher Paxton common call style free eight. So it's just a rotation of the same positions. We've been saying remember, from back when Arangis was not playing under Lucci Ball, we talked about how there's no 10 in this system. So they didn't go sign a guy to play 10 because they don't have a 10. They don't use a 10. They went and signed a guy that plays eight. Maybe it's an attacking eight, but it's still an eight. And so that's, I mean, it's, it, he fits perfectly in with what Lucci Ball is as far as we're concerned. Okay, so to answer the other part of the question is, and if everybody's healthy, the starting three in this midfield is Santos, Ricarte, and Paxton? No, and they're playing a single a single six with two eights. No, it would be Santos Acosta and Ricarte. That's who it would be. Well, if everyone's healthy. No, where does Paxton Pomacall fit in this picture? Left bench. Left out. Uh, you cut out. Say that again. Left out. Left bench. A fully healthy Paxton Pomacall does not start in this lineup. Yes. Yeah, he doesn't. What is that? Your opinion, or that's what you think, Lucci? Would do. Oh, that's not what I would do. That's my opinion of what Lucci will do. I mean, how how often have you seen Lucci start Paxton in that free eight or attacking whatever you want to call it role? Well, how many times when, when when he was healthy, he was doing it pretty regularly and having a lot of success with it. Then he got the initial kind of bizarro groin, hip, whatever injury, and then he stopped playing him and moved him moved him out to the wing. And then we got to the start of this season, and he had the other or the 
continuation of this. I'm never quite clear what this injury is, if it's yeah. the same thing or a different injury. But the point being is he wasn't healthy enough to play in the middle of the park, so they didn't do that. And that's at least that's the justification I've been sold as to why he hasn't been playing that position. But are you suggesting there's something else going on here? Well, think back to the first part of last season, right? Pomichol started in that position some of the time, but he also occasionally was played as a wing. And then he went to the um, U-20 World Cup. Right. And then he came back and was hurt. He balled out. And was yeah. was a kick-ass. But then he came back and was hurt. So it's like, how many games did he actually start in that position? And how many games did Jesus Ferreira start in that position? And now they've gone out and gotten a big-time, humongous star, prime of his career player for that same position. So, I mean, I don't know why in the world you'd think that he was going to start over Ricarte or that he was going to start over a guy that played the World Cup, Acosta. I mean, he's not. Hmm. I mean, well, listen, because, I, well, I, I the, it, answer, the answer to your question is, is because Paxton possesses qualities, specifically will, a willingness to go drive at defenders that none of these other guys seem to want to do. And that includes Jesus Freya, by the way. I, I 100% agree with you. But like I said, this is not what I would do. This is what Lucci does. I mean, what has Lucci, when has Lucci used Paxton in that role consistently enough to make you think that he's going to pile the whole thing on Paxton and get Paxton the keys? I completely agree with you. But yeah. again, just to repeat it, I yeah. thought that was based on the premise that Paxton was, had, a, a, had, can, had an injury of some sort that really meant that he shouldn't be playing there because it would put too much wear and tear and endanger that injury to make worse. That's, that's how it was posed to me. Like, well, look, sure, he should be in the middle, but we can't do that to the kid because every time he finishes playing, you know, he feels like he's been lit on fire. I mean, maybe they know something about his long-term health that we don't know. Or maybe they just realize that he's not consistently available enough. Or maybe they know that he's, he's going to be gone for the Olympic team all the time. You know, I mean, there's lots of factors that can go into why it's clear to me that they don't think that he's the starting guy in that spot. Not all the time. Not over Ricarte. We're talking about a sample size of uh, Paxton's career under Lucci, where he's been injured pretty much every day of it. He's had that lingering issue, whether it was the hamstring, the groin, the hip. He's had something going on. Yes, with the exception of prior to the World Cup run, where he was kicking ass for Dallas, and everybody thought he was the you know next and great he was American still attacking actually player. Actually, suffering the hamstring injury, he had. But was that? He was I thought the ham, I thought the hamstring injury was was uh, from the World Cup play. No, it was the whole season. Was it? Okay. The hamstring yeah. was a knock on from the groin, which never fully which took a long time to fully heal. You remember he went to the that national team camp? Was that way back in January? And like the first. He, he trained like a couple of days and made like one appearance late in the game. And then they had to shut him down mm -hmm. and send him back. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, like yeah. that was, it was all last year. Well, the whole reason why I bring this up is because, um, you know, the, the, the addition of Ricarte, I think continues as the season goes on. My sense is, is that the fan base is starting to, uh, become less enthusiastic about him because maybe the realities of his positional play and his qualities, or at least what Lucci's asking him to do on the team, are different than what I think everybody thought they were getting when he showed up here however, however many months ago. Is that, a, is that a good way of framing it? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, that's, that's where I think they misplayed their signing of him when they played him up as this big 
I mean, I can't even like I can't even cite specifically what it was, but I sure felt like they were trying to say he was going to be this great playmaking ten. And he certainly definitely isn't. Called him an attacking midfielder. Did they? I mean, that's that's the thing. Is like you, you. So people were expecting one thing, and they got something else. And I'm actually perfectly happy with him the way he actually plays. I think he's a fantastic player, and I think he fits the system better. And I'm actually really excited about the idea of having a dual eight system that we think Lucci really likes, and there being a mix of Ricarte. And I hope Paxton. I just don't think it's going to be Paxton. I think it's more likely to be Acosta or even Tanner Testman at this point than it is Paxton. I think Paxton at this point, if he even gets healthy, is like you have to look at like Paxton Ricarte as one position and Acosta, Testman, Cervania as the other one. Yeah, I mean, we've completely, I mean, it's like they lost Cervania at the airport several months ago and we have never seen him again. He's like, you know, yeah. wandering around it. In some bathroom. It's well, some Tanner's sp- out playing him, so you know it's not it's too many bodies. It is amazing how things change. And the reason why I bring all this up is now we move on to the game last night. Uh, we're recording this on uh, Thursday evening. So the game uh, in Frisco against Inter-Miami uh, is exactly what Steve Davis was talking about. He's this linking, this connector. He does all this, that, and... And but what we are what we're not seeing is any consistent dangerous attacking play, despite the fact we have this guy that I think by and large we all think is doing his job well in terms of playing that linking and connecting, but he's not the guy that's supposed to be creating. And I think that's the piece that everybody just needs to come to term with is that the team, once you get past Ricarte, everything else is really, really broken. Yeah, I mean, against Enter, he clearly was deployed as a legit deep-lying playmaking eight. You know, I mean, not even pretending to be something like a 10. Jesus was playing as Hell, that there were, higher there were, 10. There were times where he was playing as the six. He was dropping back between yeah. the two center backs to collect the ball. Yeah, and actually he needed to do that a little bit more than he did in that position. There was a couple, like the goal came because Santos was on an island against two guys. But, um, you know, I really, really liked Ricarte in that role if you assume that that is what he's actually doing, which is linking eight. The problem, of course, is that puts Ferreira back as the 10, and we've seen how horrible he is. Now, I do want to give him, a Ferreira, a tiny bit of credit that he put in more work and more effort and more running and more uh, actual ball play and linking and building than I've seen in a long, long time in the first half. I actually thought he was great other than he passed the ball out of bounds twice. Unfortunately, in the second half, he ran out of steam and around the 65th minute mark, maybe the 70th minute mark, he he literally ran over in front of the bench and just stood there for like 10 minutes until Lucci subbed him off. You know, and in front he was in the way of Reynolds and Barrios. I was like, what is he doing? You know, they just completely abandoned the middle of the field because Jesus ran away from it because he was gassed out. But um, uh, okay, okay, this is this is interesting. So you feel like Ferreira played a good game, um, Dan? What is your opinion of Jesus's performance against Miami? He tried. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that it was good. I said it was better than he's done in a long time. You know, yeah. that's it was, all. It, it was solid effort. It wasn't but it didn't. But, uh, but, uh, but minus one particularly very good pass to Barrios uh, that he put out at, an, at kind of a diagonal from the middle of the field to the top right part of the uh, Miami box, I, was there any particular, like, super danger he created. I mean, he's playing the 10 or, I mean, not yeah. really the 10 he's playing that kind of attacking midfield role. Yeah. I, did, did anybody feel like they got much out of Jesus's performance other than the fact that he just looked like he, he tried really hard. No, but the problem is, is that Lucci always talks about all the little things he does. Jesus does to make the team better. 
And like when you combine like that work effort and that energy and how hard he was working for his teammates, that's the kind of things that I think Lucci will say, oh man, what a great performance by Jesus that was. And now you're going to say Jesus anymore, even more. I'm not right. saying that he's right. I'm just saying that's what I think Lucci's going to, what's going to happen with Lucci and Jesus. And we're going to be stuck with Jesus. The thing you can say about his performance is he was man marked by a guy who won the 2018 World Cup. <laughs> and you forgot that Blaise Matuidi was in the game for large portions of it. Yeah, I, I haven't been paying attention as to how well uh, Blas Matuidi's been playing for Miami. Um, he wasn't particularly good last night. Um, God, he was garbage. I thought. <laughs> uh, well, you, you were there in person, so you can see a lot more and pay attention to things that you just can't on television. I saw you yeah. tweet that. and I, Was there something in particular about Matuidi's game that really... Uh, soured you on him uh he was just rough he was just he reminded me of a guy that um can't quite get his feet to do what he wants with the ball and just was like kept fouling guys and was just sort of static and stayed at home and uh you know maybe he's playing really negative because the defense behind him is not very good so but I actually he's, he's played like someone that doesn't like playing 40 degree weather yeah no no that's entirely possible i'm just telling you that i saw a poor performance Man, right. I, don't, I was, you know, it's entirely possible the guy just didn't want to be there. I mean, we've seen that happen before too. I'm just saying, like, I watched the guy play, and I'm like, well, this guy's terrible. <laughs> well, I, I want to go back and just kind of ask a general question uh, uh, about the enter game because here, you know, the reality is is that the attack, uh, Lucci's attack, is broken and has been broken. Uh, dating back to August. I mean, we can get very specific about the number of goals they have or have not scored in the run of play going on now for the better part of eight games. And uh, uh, in the intergame, up until the moment the penalty is given, uh, did either one of you actually have any sense that Dallas was going to score and at least tie the game, much less win it? Go ahead, Dan. No, not really. Um, they had that one little exchange in the first, I guess it was 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, Dallas just looked kind of stale from there on. Uh, oh. I mean, the first 10 minutes of the half were dead. Nothing really, you know, nothing happened either way in, until the penalty. Right. Because the point I, 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 wa I want to get at is, and this is something I think a lot of people may or may not be aware of, the last two goals in the run of play this team have scored have been created by and finished by their two starting fullbacks. Brian Reynolds to Ryan Hellingshead. Those are the last two goals, the, get, the goal last night and the goal in Kansas City that they won in Kansas City with. And or, I mean, not in Kansas City. goals have been scored by Hollingshead. Right. I don't know who yeah. assisted on the other one. <laughs> Well, was the one at Sporting KC. I don't remember who, who assisted on that. My, but you see where I'm getting at, which is we're getting zero productivity. And by the way, another whiff of an opportunity by Frank O'Hara that if Christian Coleman or Cobra had done it, I'd be screaming bloody murder over. And now I'm really starting to wonder what in the world is going on with that guy. And... Fafa Pico is a guy that works really hard, but I, again, can anybody tell me what he brings to this team? And there were moments where Michael Barrios looked dangerous, especially later in the game. It was like, was he even on the field to the, kind of the start of the Miami game? But again, Barrios just looks like he's lost a step and he's just not the same player he used to be. And overall, my opinion aside, or anybody's opinion, the, the numbers 
uh, speak for themselves about just how terrible the attack is for Dallas. We, yeah, we talked about that earlier, Peter, was that, that what, basically that unforced error stat where um, Barrios had five and, and Hara had four and Pico had four, basically are just like fumbled receptions, if you will, um, you know, disarming the front line. And it's true that in the first half, Reynolds even admitted that he was playing more defensive than he should have been. Um, and all their offense was coming down the left side with where they overloaded because of that left back. Their right back was really struggling. Um, you know, and it was one of those games where they're like, they should be up three or four goals and they're not. And then it wasn't until Reynolds decided to go forward that all of a sudden there was any offense at all. It's like their entire offense is completely built on and is completely reliant on their outside backs overloading. If their outside backs don't overload, they have nothing. It's their whole play right now. Okay. But uh, Dan, you, what were you going to say? Cause I think you got cut off. Yeah, I was going to say uh, with Barrios that uh, that little one-on-one, the really nice uh, nice long ball from Thiago Santos, uh, Hara flicks on a header, Barrios runs clear of two defenders, and then he doesn't know what to do, and he just touches it aside of the goalkeeper, and it just rests really nicely for the defender. Uh, just really summed up his season so far. Uh, but what I, I guess what I want somebody to tell me is, and I think I know why, but I, I'm not going to, I'm not the expert here. Buzz, what is it about the team that is, wh- where is the failure coming in the attack that they're not creating these opportunities? Like, where is the broken piece or broken pieces? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, some of it, I think, is a the idea that you're trying to force uh, players into styles and positions that they're not really uh, maybe not positions, maybe just styles and and systems that they're not uh, designed for. You know, I've talked about this recently, the starting with the national game, we talked about the fact that they have a system that fits what they have that fits their roster. And Lucci wants to play a certain way. And he's trying to make players fit that way. And he doesn't really have the players to match that. And, and a prime example of that is um, Frank O'Hara is a, plays more as a false nine than a real nine, than a high nine. And Lucci ball is dependent on high pressing, right? Well, if you're playing as a false nine, it's very difficult to high press. It's too far to go, especially when you're slow. You know, Franco, not uh, not Franco, excuse me, Fafa Pico came here because he's one of the best high pressers in the league. But if he doesn't have the inside person coming to help press, because the idea, of course, in high press is you pin them with the sideline or with the other striker, if Hara can't get there, then you can't really press effectively. And Barrios is just okay at a press. He, when he does do it, he's decent at it, but he doesn't do it very much because he's too often just waiting for his chance to sort of run vertically. And yet they don't have the kind of players that are making the passes to break those guys vertically. So there's a disconnect for me in the kind of players and the system. And even looking just further back, you, know, you look at the, the numbers for key passes and crosses and it's, Reynolds, uh, sorry, Barrios and Ricarte, then Reynolds, Hollinshead, and Reto Ziegler. Um, you know, they're just getting there's. You know, for all the uh, all the all the changing around in the midfield, you know, and we've highlighted it a bunch of times, and you know, for large portions of the game yesterday, there was just a gigantic hole between the center spot and the top of the D as the you know the midfield kind of abandoned it, trying to take up a wider position trying to defend back there's no one kind of that there's no one occupying the hole which you know as you said uh ricarte doesn't want to do that's not supposed to be his job that's kind of where you you ideally want jesus and 
someone who can can run between lines and, and create a bit of havoc to to pass through. You remember last year that one of the things that we said was really nice about Asus in the back half of the season is that he was attacking those gaps and he's not doing it now. And Paxton also does that. He also attacks those gaps and he, and he is the only one that's willing to sort of go at people and sort of create chaos. And so if one guy's missing, the other one's no longer doing that. There's nobody then there that sort of creates any danger or creates any chaos in the, between the midfield and to the front line, that connection, that, that breaking pass, that, that move that puts the defense under stress, none of that's happening. And so one of those guys being gone and one of them mentally being gone has ruined your offense because Acosta doesn't do it and McCarthy doesn't do it because they're both a different kind of player, apparently, we've learned. <laughs> so uh, because the thing that uh, my observation continues to be that I just don't understand what uh, like I, if somebody said to me, what kind of ball, do, what is Luch, we've asked this question before. If somebody said to me, what is Lucci ball or what kind of team is FC Dallas? I, I honestly couldn't tell you. Like I, I've been watching this team every game now for however many weeks, like everybody else since they've joined restarted. And I even thinking back to last season and I still can't describe to anybody what this team's purpose is when it's on the ball. Like I just don't know what, I mean, I think I know what they're going to do. They're going to play it laterally back and forth, back and forth, and everybody's going to take three or four touches. Nobody has a lot of initiative to try to do anything with the ball. And that's where I'm really trying to figure out what Lucci what what role Lucci has in the kind of malaise of this attack? Well, it's supposed to look like it only does it like it, it did late in the game once or twice. It's supposed to look like that um, the buildup where you see, you know, the center back to the outside back to the checking eight to back to the outside back to maybe the one of the checking forwards. And then there's an overlap and an overload happen. That's that kind of uh, quick ping, 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 ping up between guys up the sides, that's the idea. And it does happen. It was a, when, when Reynolds started getting forward, it started happening on that side. And it does happen with, um, Holling said on the other side, but when those two things are not being successful, I don't know what else there is. The other side of it is supposed to be the high press, but lately the high press isn't functioning. Like for me, ever since Hara came in, the high press sort of has died. You know, I don't know whether he just doesn't like to do it or whether I said it's because he's too slow. I really don't know. But that aspect of the team for me has gone away. And that was always one of their best offensive moves was the high press and getting the steal and scoring mm-hmm. back when Cobra was here. But when the but when things changed in the game, the t- game's tied 1-1, and suddenly now uh, uh, Brian is bombing forward as much as Ryan has. And again, we should probably point out that Ryan had at least one, if not two, opportunities to score and, and, uh, and muffed his opportunities. The team suddenly looked transformed, and there are very clear moments when this team looks really dangerous and a lot of fun to watch when Ryan and Brian are doing their thing and getting in the attacking third of the field, they just don't seem to do it consistently. And I, is that a fitness issue? Is that a Lucci control mechanism that's going on? Well, some of the Brian staying back stuff is in response to when Hedges was missing, when he had slow center backs, you know, and he's, and he's being told to stay home and be safe and be conservative, you know? And then, so when you have coaches telling you to stay and not go, well, then you stay. But, you know, the, the problem is, is the whole offense is predicated on them going. Mm-hmm. And so if they don't go, it's a problem, you know, particularly when they're not high pressing anymore. The only offense comes from those overloads. 
So they have to happen. And if they're not happening, it's a problem. Dan, is there uh, is there any path to this team becoming uh, more dangerous in attack before the end of this season? I mean, the best uh, the best path to the attack is the striker gaining confidence, right, and, and getting receptions. So, hopefully, the uh, the the penalty gave uh, Hara a bit of a kick up the backside, and the fullbacks can keep doing what they're doing and actually getting forward. And um, you know, finding opportunities. Obviously, as uh, you know, the players themselves said uh, last night it was a little bit easier getting forward just because Miami doesn't press. Let's uh, let's go with a wing and a prayer, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, but well, Buzz, what worries you more yeah. in terms of an opponent? Let's just uh, let's assume they make the playoffs. The, the the league officially announced that it's going to be based on points per game, and I mean, short of some sort of epic meltdown by Dallas and some sort of you know good run of form by somebody behind them, the odds of Dallas not making the playoffs at this point are slim to none. Uh, so let's. What team would worry you more about Dallas playing? A team like Nashville that sits in bunkers, or a team that really drives at Dallas? You know, yeah, like a, a team Seattle, that, a team that bunkers. Yeah, yeah. Dallas has no uh, creative wherewithal to break down a bunker. You know, we've talked about the ways you can bu- break down a bunker. One is to fire in a hundred crosses, and they don't have a great aerial striker. You know, the next one is to try and draw the team out. And no one's afraid of that with Dallas. Everyone will just let them pass around a thousand times. And the mm-hmm. third one is you have to have guys split the gaps. You have to have dudes that run in between the gaps and make the defense stress and move. The only two guys that do that are Hollingshead and Reynolds. No one else is doing that. So a low, a low block is a nightmare for this club. They're much, much better against, for example, Sporting Kansas City a team that generally speaking wants to, I mean, they came in here and bunkered that one half of a game, but generally speaking, they want to play with you, right? Dallas does way better against good teams that actually want to play because then they get a chance to play. If you make Dallas do it all by themselves, they can't do it. They're a reactive team, not a progressive team. Does that make sense? No, no, it totally does. Do you have any alternate thoughts about that, Dan? No, Buzz is completely right. And when Leachy talks about how they want to be the protagonist, that's it. It's dictating the game. It's not letting somebody's low block dictate your game and kind of push you back into a hole. Uh, anything else? Oh, well, so uh, the final goal we just should mention was a beautiful cross uh, and wonderful finish by the Brian-Ryan combo. Uh, once again, two times in a row. Anything else about the game that we want to talk about? Well, it was the first time all year that Dallas has come from behind to win after giving up the first goal. Yes. They're now they're now one five and one with that stat, which I think says something about the team a little bit that they're not particularly resilient. But um, in terms of like thinking about the rest of the season, the fact that they finally got that one, and there's some quotes from Matt Hedges saying like, "Well, we really needed that. You know, our locker room is great. We're now feel we feel really really confident that you know if we get in, because he has to say that um, we can do some damage against some of these teams and and." So that that part is a is actually I think probably true that this is a win that can galvanize them a little bit as long as they don't get wrecked over the last couple of road games here, you know, and one more home game. It's just nice to see. It's a step, if a tiny one. It's a step of positivity. So, for what it's worth, they finally came back from losing the first goal. I was a little bummed out uh, that we didn't get to see uh, Victor. 
the entire game. It was really nice to see him come out and play for a little bit. Uh, but I also was, uh, you know, admittedly bummed out we didn't get to see the uh, uh, <laughs> we didn't get to see Breck Shea again. I know I, I would have liked to have seen both of those guys start, of course, just because we always want well for FC Dallas guys when they move on with their careers. Victor at least got into the game, uh, so you know. Breck, was, was Breck even on the bench? No, he wasn't even in the eighteen. So as far oh, as I know, they didn't hurt? even bring him. I don't. I actually hmm. have no idea. <laughs> Makes me wonder if he still has his house here in Frisco. I mean, he may. Certainly has lots of family still around here in the neighborhood. I don't know. The other thing that was interesting about the game uh, was that Rito Ziegler took it upon himself to post on Instagram that he would not be in the 18 because he had indirectly been exposed to COVID. His wife had seen somebody that tested positive, and so he was just being double, triple safe. And, man... Was anybody else really kind of put uh, like surprised that he announced it and not the club? I think he did that on purpose. I think he did that to force the club to take him out of the game. What do you mean? You want well, they wanted him to play? Yeah, that's my assumption. Is that, even though they knew he had been indirectly exposed to COVID? Um, no, I, I think that there probably was some discussion happening. Where it's like, oh, is that? exposure do we need to quarantine you and he's like you know what i'm just gonna do it i'm just gonna announce that i'm out you know because he probably knew as well as anybody that he needed a rest i suggested on monday that he needed a rest so i'm not surprised that he preemptively was like screw it i'm gonna announce this that i'm out and then the team can just deal with it Hmm. yeah because then we got an announcement from the club uh, a few hours later that essentially repeated what he had put on instagram i i just found that really odd well, uh, I'm, you know, the club doesn't like to talk about the COVID stuff. They probably didn't want to make it clear that someone had been exposed again, right? They got so much mm-hmm. shit for it last time. Can I say that on the show? You know, sure. so it's your show. It's entirely possible that they were going to dilly dally and be like, oh, we're just resting Reto. And he was like, I'm putting it well, out. You know, there's also, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of funny about injuries and that, right? So I, I asked around a little bit and I was told, like, you know, what, what if he hadn't come out, what would the, uh, what would the status have been put as? And I was told probably more than likely it would have been uh, not medically cleared to play, which is the new MLS standard, right? Um, which when you're 34, um, you know, you're potentially looking at uh, contract talks, maybe, maybe a move, whatever. You don't want to be listed as not medically cleared to play because that says, oh, injury. He's injury prone. And, you know, Reto Ziegler hasn't had a, a whole lot, uh, very many injuries, really over his career, let alone his, his FC Dallas career. So he gets to control the narrative this way. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the good news is they did a, what they called like a proactive, uh, not proactive, a retroactive nine-day um, quarantine. Uh, I don't know how they work it worked out to be in nine days because he trained today, but... Uh, they did some kind of modified MLS standard and any trained today and, and will play against Houston. So over on Twitter, Buzz, you were asked from at Italian Sampler, with the mm. wings suffering so much to have much of an impact lately, what do you think about moving Hollingshead up to left wing and having Nelson start at left back? Well, that's... Uh, it's not such a great idea. Not that I don't like Johnny Nelson because uh, he is a solid defender, but um, the the reason the outside backs are successful is because of the concept we keep talking about, which is the overload. 
right? You're the extra attacker coming into the space occupied by just one defender. So if you put Ryan on the wing, then he's one-on-one with at least with just one defender by himself. And with Johnny Nelson behind him, there's no overload because Nelson is not comfortable with the overload yet. So it basically, if you, if you put either one of those outside backs as a wing, you basically derail the entire concept that they're working on. Now you could put Munjelma at right back. And so that would work. He would still overload with Brian if you put Brian at right wing. But Johnny Nelson, Johnny Nelson would need probably half of a season of games, you know, 10 to 15 games before he would be comfortable becoming an overlapping outside back. I think he can do it. It's just that he doesn't do it right now. After the at, towards the end of the game, when Lucci made all of his uh, wholesale changes and he took off Ricarte and he took off Hara, and there was still a few minutes left in the game, did anybody worry that Lucci was going too defensive and he had, he was really setting the team up for a disappointment with how much defense he had thrown on the field trying to protect a two one lead? Yeah, I certainly did. <laughs> I mean, I, I got the change. You know, the change to that five-four-one is something he's done fairly frequently. Um, I I always hate it when you take off um, all your possession style players, and you know you can you can get the idea that you want to have some fresh legs on. But some of his choices that he has available are not players that are good at holding the ball up, you know, and letting your team defensively step out and refresh themselves. Now. You know, I think Pepe is going to be a really great player someday, but right now he's not particularly good at hold-up play, which is to shield off the defender, find a guy to lay the ball off to so you can relieve pressure. And with Tuomasi, same thing, right? Not necessarily what, what, what a What position was Tuomasi playing last night, by the way? Uh, he was playing left, you know, mid-slash-wing above the <laughs> left wing back. Well, basically, you know, it's a 5-4-1 it's at that point. So basically it's a flat four in front of a five-man back line. So he was your left side midfielder or whatever, or left wing, whatever you want to call it. With At that point, I think it was – was it still Barrios on the right? I can't remember. Um, no, they had put Barrios up top by himself, I thought. And then it looked like Tuomasi was just told, chase the ball and press it wherever it yeah. is. I don't care if you got to run all the way to their goalkeeper and back to ours. You just run until well, you're dead. Santos and Tessman at that point were the – with the windshield wipers, as the Germans call them, in front of that back five. And then, in theory, Tuomasi, Pepe, and Barrios are taking turns all as the high relief player, you know, that you want to play a long ball out to and then have that guy not turn it over instantly. That's the whole thing, right? You want to have him either be able to turn the defender and go deep with it or at least shield him off until your teams can step out. And that wasn't happening. Like None of those three guys are good at that. They all suck at that. So it's like I, I don't like the choices that he made. In terms of that style, it's like you, if anything, you probably should have kept Hara on. Frankly, he's the best guy at that hold up play that you have. I mean, he's not great at it, but at least he can do it some. Um, okay, so Houston shows up into town this weekend and they're not playing very well either. And they're, you know, I guess they do they have a chance of still making the playoffs? Oh, good question. Yeah, so they, uh, they're, yeah, they're, they're on, they're on one team point. Eliminated at this point. Say that again. There isn't a single team in MLS eliminated at this point. All right, so they have, they are averaging a single point per game. Dallas is sitting at six. If you if you average it out on points per game at one point four seven, they have San Jose and Colorado uh, behind them, and then Vancouver's just beneath the line at one point one four. 
uh, Dallas, I'm assuming if they were to win one more of these last three games, that would absolutely lock them into a playoff spot. Any uh, Buzz, do you have any idea how Lucci's going to man-manage uh, the Houston game? Because they, the, the two yeah. games, this is their last home game. The two games after this are both road games. Well, uh, you, you want to try and get your points at home. So I imagine he's going to run out as, as much of a first team as possible. So I think it'll be pretty much what you just saw. You know, I don't, I don't think there'll be any difference. I mean, that's the thing is like Hedges being back was a huge difference. I mean, Rhett's will be back for Brisson, right? So you're mm-hmm. back to your starting center backs. But Reynolds is great. Hollingshead is great, right? Santos, since he had a break, Santos has looked back to his normal number one in the league in duels winning thing. Ricarte looked pretty good as that deep eight player. You know, I just said that regardless of the fact that we think Jesus stunk, he worked his tail off, and therefore Lucci's going to think he did great, and Lucci's going to play him again. And you're going to end up with the same three guys up front. You're going to end up with – because I doubt Santiago Mascara, who's the softest player in the world, will be back and ready to play. So it's going to be exactly the same lineup. It's going to be Pico, Hara, and Barrios, I assume. Dan, do you have a dream lineup you'd prefer to see in, against Houston? Um, just a team of Jimmy Mowers. I mean, it, it would never happen, but I would love to see Thomas Roberts play in, in Jesus' spot. Yeah. It'll never happen, but that's what I would want. Okay. Uh, all right, anything else about the Inter-Miami game we want to talk about? Because it really wasn't very exciting, to be honest with you. I mean, that was a lot of a one game that wasn't that great. <laughs> yeah. It just, it, I, I don't know, It just. I, I think it says a lot about the state of the team that they feel so relieved uh, uh, and excited about beating Inter Miami at home. That that just, I think that speaks a lot about to the qualities of the season as a whole, doesn't it? Were they excited about that, or were they excited about the fact that that combined with Colorado losing effectively sealed the playoffs? Oh, probably so. Yeah, because they all they need they can lose. Uh, I think Colorado have to win all their games and everyone below them win all their games and Dallas has to lose their last couple and for, for Dallas to be eliminated at this point is such an impossible scenario. Right. So I'm assuming the playoffs are just uh, one versus eight go down the line, so they'll probably end up playing whoever is uh, fourth, I would assume. Third. No, third. third. Right, so they'll end up playing a, one, a one-off game against Portland. In Portland. In Portland. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the home form is why Lucci wanted to have a home game so you know, this year, but that, that, that goal obviously did not materialize. Yeah, for them to get a home game, they're going to have to essentially win out and really accelerate their, their points per game and hope that LAFC or Minnesota uh, bomb a few games. Basically, yeah, that's what you got to hope for. I mean, that's not, it's not likely. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. You know, I mean, the way this team plays, I'd be, they, they have just as much chance to go to Portland and win as they do to host, you know, somebody here that's, in, that's good enough to be in the playoffs. You know, home field advantage is not what it was. I mean, it's still big, but it's not what it was. And the way Dallas stinks it up against bad teams and, and does really good about against good teams. Look at the way they played Sporting this year, and look at the way they played Minnesota this year. Two teams that are that they played a bunch that are ahead of them. So whatever, right. man. In a single game knockout, I like their chances to make some noise. I mean, I don't think they're gonna, but you know, it's just as more likely as it is that they would win a home game. I'd make it more likely that they'd actually play SKC because Portland have got Vancouver and Columbus. Uh, sorry, and Colorado, so they're gonna 
probably overtake SKC. Well, I really like their chances of going to sporting and doing something. Yeah, it's either that, would that be... or Minnesota, which is I'll... a winnable game. Although we, as we, as we, uh, pr- uh, as we predicted in a pod uh, previous to this one, yeah. that means they'd have to get a re- a winning result against Kansas oh. City for the fourth time. Remember, they've played yeah. them three times yeah. and gotten either a win or a tie each of the time. They haven't lost to Kansas City. That would be yeah. uh, that would be tough to uh, a tough request to to essentially best a team four times in a season. God, it would. But how delicious would it be to beat Peter Vermees? In, in in Kansas City, <laughs> yeah, it would, the post game press conference would just be a delight. Hey, maybe we're maybe uh, we are to Kansas City as Nashville is to Dallas. Yes, yes, definitely. Maybe that's the way to look at it. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, anything else uh, about uh, football club Dallas before we move on for the rest of the pod? Well, this is a minor point, but I just wanted to say how impressed I am with Nikosi Burgess. Every time I watch him talk or or like a story on the guy he's just you know like they, they did this stupid video today on uh big bad brian for player of the week or whatever and every single one of them that players just did sort of the bare minimum big bad brian and nikosi actually had something to say and mm. and then there was also that story about him um doing the Hamlet maneuver and saving some lady's life today you know I just find the guy increasingly Wait, impressive. Hold on. Whoa, whoa, I haven't heard this. What's that story? I tweeted it out. There's a story on FC Dallas's website about Nikosi uh, Burgess saved some lady's life uh, at a food court in the mall or something. And she came up to the stadium. They have a picture of her meeting Nikosi again, I guess, for really? the first time or whatever. I'm like, why aren't they trumpeting this story? I guess because he doesn't play, but it's like, what a great story that is. You yeah, know, I just came across it. Today. as well as showing that during the broadcast yesterday. Did they? Okay. Well, you know. I'm just I'm just increasingly impressed by the guy in terms of his the way he carries himself, you know, the things he cares about, the things that he says. He actually thinks about answers when he gives them, when you talk to him, you know. I, I just I think the guy's well, it's yet to be seen whether the guy can actually play at an MLS level or not, but you know, the way he carries himself it impresses me. And then North Texas ended their season. Uh the the bad start to the season finally caught up to them. Despite winning, they missed the final, which I guess also has its own news story <laughs> that yeah. we need to talk about. Uh and Buzz, you were at the final game of the season? Yes. Well, the number one most important thing to say is that Thomas Roberts in the final game played as good and as above the level of the game as he did when he was in the academy. He dominated that game like he dominated academy games. And this is what we've been waiting for, right? We've been waiting for him to be far and away the best player on the field and far and away the dominant player to now that it almost looks stupid that he was in the game. And that's phenomenal. That's exciting. And it's why he's been making the bench lately for the first team. And it's why I'm like, I'm now ready to put him in for Jesus because it really is remarkable. Now, he said after the game that he dislocated his wrist and popped it back in and taped it up. I think he's exaggerating. Like if he had actually dislocated his wrist, he'd be much, much worse off than he is. But it doesn't change the fact that the kid is tough as nails and is now playing with a a bum ankle that he got hit. It's not bad, but it's like he re-aggravated this little ankle problem he has he's been struggling with. And he played through with his hurt wrist, you know, and still was a dominant performance. It's just I, I love to see kids progressing like that and it's just really exciting. It, so if in do fact we whisper his name again. Thomas Roberts. Sure. Oh man, you're gonna curse that poor kid. I know I'm gonna wreck it. Uh, uh, so let me just ask this hypothetical. If Dallas wins against Houston and solidifies their playoff spot, is there any chance in hell he lets Roberts play in one of the two last games? I think so. Yes. Now, um, I wouldn't have thought that if you were having to fight, uh, not, not, not only would I not have thought it, it would not have happened if you were having to fight for a spot, 
But if he feels like you're not going to lose a position in the standings, then I think, plus you're going to want to rest some guys over those three games because you want to be fresh for the playoffs. So you'll see some rotation. And I actually think that, I think it's a long shot, but I think there is a chance that Roberts might get a game, if nothing else, maybe off the bench, because one of the ways you can manage load when you have five subs is you go ahead and use all five subs and let guys only play 60 minutes rather than 90 minutes. So I think there's a good chance you'll see him, given that, you know, Ricarte's playing is more of an eight these days than a 10. I think there's a chance. So what's your overall uh, kind of summation about the, uh, the second season of North Texas Soccer Club? Well, they got significantly hampered by the um, COVID situation. I mean, it's pretty clear that if the first half of the year you would have had the ability to bring more guys up and down, specifically Nikosi Burgess and Eddie Manjama were supposed to play the whole season with North Texas, and they, they didn't and they couldn't. Uh, at FC Dallas had to keep them up because they had guys that were so precarious in the same situations with all this stuff going on. They couldn't risk having them not easily available. Mm. And it wasn't until the very end of the season that they were able to finally send them down. And so those two guys are a big part of how the defense turned around for North Texas. If they would have been down all year, then North Texas would have run away with the league just like Greenville Triumph did. And you would have had both of those teams top of the table and in the finals. So it's only because of the COVID situation and the not being able to go back and forth that North Texas wasn't as good as last year. You know, as soon as they did those things, then they were tremendous again. Um, the only, the only interesting, they, they, the, the, the two big takeaways for me other than that are the foreign signings continue to not pan out. These guys that they're throwing a dice on, you know, the guys that we kind of liked last year were too deemed too expensive to be kept around because they couldn't, both of them had contracts that said they had to be with FC Dallas or it was going to be really expensive. And then the other thing is that um, for me, Nikki Hernandez, who's the kid out of SMU, this is the first kid I think has a legitimate shot to have signed with North Texas and break into FC Dallas. Now they basically circumvented the draft by doing this, by signing him directly. It means that they can, there's a million different ways they can get him to the first team and it's really fascinating because a you t- you did an end around on a guy that wasn't in your academy, and he looks good enough that I think he can challenge to make the FC Dallas roster next season. Now the only problem is is that he's a linking eight, so there's <laughs> a lot of those around. So that's probably the reason that he won't make it. But uh, basically, he's a guy that would have been a first round draft pick. So basically, you swiped a first round draft pick out of the draft pool by using this mechanic and that's interesting on its own. And then also in terms of, so he's basically like Burgess is, you know, he's a player you're developing that you've taken out of your senior class of college, you know, who has potential to be a player for you someday. But Emma Montgomery two years ago and Emma and Francis two years ago, they don't all make it, but at least he's a guy that has a legit shot. Um, and then what is the, I read right when we started to record the podcast, I saw something was announced that the final actually is now not going to get played because one of the teams has a COVID outbreak or what's going yeah. on. Union Omaha has a COVID outbreak and the, the, they actually had a lot of forethought as Dan pointed out that they, the commissioners of the league or whatever decided before they resumed play back 15 games ago, that if they had to points per game would determine the champion of the whole thing. So because they had to cancel the game because Union Omaha got COVID, Greenville's named the champion, which is fine because they were the runaway 
clear dominant team. It wasn't even close. And they were right. like, they, you know, they, they were like 15 points up on everybody else. So no one has an argument that they should have been in it, you know. So it's perfectly fine. And it's a, it's at least, it's interesting that they had the forefront to plan ahead for this possibly happening. So it's a weird year. Just roll with it. I do think it's funny, though, that uh, North Texas remains the only team to actually win the USL one final and lift the championship trophy. That's kind of funny. That is pretty funny. Uh, I do have another question, which is, do we have any idea of how how Major League Soccer is planning on rounding? Like, to what number will they round out to on the points per game before they round up, if that makes any sense? Oh. Is it two digits, three digits, four digits? I think it's just two, because that's what it displays. And then it, it depends what the tiebreakers are going to be, because... Goals for, goals against, goal difference, wins, all that now well, is the, up in the air. So do you go goals per game? Do you, you know? Oh, yeah, they adjusted all of it to a per match. Like They have the nine tiebreakers, and every one of them is now per match. So it's all going to be averages. Uh, and Yeah, but my question is, uh, is that I, isn't it pretty fair to say, so they're going to leave, if, if you're saying at, at like 1.84, would, they wouldn't go to 1.84 point, or excuse me, 1.843 five they're going to just round it to eight four and at that point they go to the next tiebreaker that find a number really you know we're all, we're dealing with i think it can i'm sitting here numbers. doing some of this math now and i'm getting i mean i think they round it i think you're right that they round it to two figures to two figures okay well that makes sense because then yeah. and so if everybody's tied let's say at 1.58 then they just automatically would then go to the next time yeah and the next one is Total wins, but it's wins by matches played. It's because you now have to have your average. I mean, see what I mean? Like everything had to be then divided by a number of games you played. So, yeah. And I also I saw in there they had some sort of note that the games played, the games played in Orlando plus the three Dallas first Nashville games will not be factored into <laughs> road or away goals or form which seems completely bizarre to me. And I feel bad for uh, the intern up in New York that's well, having to do this math. What they, what they said was they count as neutral venues in terms of the tiebreakers. So if it's like when you get to home goals or away goals or things like that, that's what they mean by there being neutral venues. They don't count as home or away. So that, that's like the fifth, sixth, and eighth tiebreakers. I mean, it's not going to come into factor. Well, that's except all the that fact means. that not everybody's going to have played the same amount of home and away games either, too, right? Yeah, exactly. Pretty sure, right? Because how many? I did. Well, wait. They played Nashville how many times? Four times? Three times? Oh gosh, four, four. So they played two Nashville, two in Nashville, two here. Yeah. Or, or no? Did they play three here? No, two and two. Two and two. Okay. All right. Yeah. Nothing is ever simple with the major league soccer. Well, not this year. It ain't. It's a mess. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a, uh, this in particular is an extreme uh, case on the norm. uh, No doubt about it. Yeah. So I'm a little little confused, right? Uh, I assume it's going to be the Nashville game uh, this coming week. That will be the one that does count as, as an away game since the original three were scheduled in that first phase. Yeah, that's if I read it and understood it correctly. Yes, that's the case. It's the three makeup games where, well, hmm. I wonder which of the two, one of the two away games doesn't count. Yeah. Obviously, if it's the one that they played a few weeks ago, that's terrible. If it's the one they play on the fourth, it doesn't say. That might be better. 
Oh, that's it just true. Says the, it just says the three rescheduled. So, well, it's got to be the first one. It's got to be the two because remember it was two in Dallas and then it was one more. And then, oh man, I better look at have to look at the. Yeah, you'd have to assume they'll do them in the order they were played would be the three not neutral venue because Dan's got a point because what if they if they won the second game in Nashville and scored like six goals and then it suddenly came down to away goals and Dallas didn't get to count that but they counted the game prior you know what I'm saying like that would yeah really that's a suck. crazy that's a good question I don't know which one it is I mean I I think just being objective and fair it has to be. The two Dallas games played in Dallas and the one the first game played in Nashville, right? I mean, that's what makes sense to me. But we'd have to basically look at like the original schedule and see like what was in there. I'm trying to well, look right now. If, and then to be and if you if you're Nashville, I'm assuming that's what you would want too because you got results out of those first three games. I mean, remember they beat Dallas or tied them in those first three games. Yeah. Well, it looks like... But based on how they've played Dallas, they're probably going to win the fourth also, and it really won't make a difference. Yeah, if I'm looking back at the original like um, press release story that we put up when they put out the updated, what they call Phase 3, mm-hmm. and the only national game listed was the uh, October 20th game. So like... At Which that is point, the 3-0 loss. Right. At that point, there's a third hypothetical makeup game that has not been scheduled yet. A fourth, so it's, you mean? Yeah. No, a third makeup. A fourth game, but it's the third makeup game that has yet to be scheduled, basically what they said. Oh. Right? So it's the it's the fourth, it's the third makeup from the tournament that's floating out there. So the one that they still have to play is the one that doesn't count. As your wait, now my brain hurts. I thought the three games they've played against Nashville are the three games that they would have played in the tournament. I know I'm saying that's wrong. You're saying the fourth game is actually the third game that was not played in the tournament. Yes. Why is that? Because it wasn't scheduled at that point. Uh, You remember when they put out that release, they were like, "We have yet to reschedule the extra game." (laughs) Okay. So now this now this gets interesting. Yeah. Because if Dallas. If the if the first, second, and fourth games are the neutral venue games, that's yeah. when how the results go could, in theory, potentially affect Dallas's placement in the playoffs or Nashville's for that matter. Yeah, well, like I said, it's it's the fifth and beyond tiebreaker, so it's not likely it's going to come into factor, but it is interesting. Yeah, hmm. I love a good conspiracy theory. I know, right? All right. Uh, anything else, good sirs? Well, the only other thing I wanted to talk about at all was that uh, if you watched Eddie Munjoma play with North Texas, I, I, like before I wasn't 100% sure about how he was progressing because we can't watch training. The games that he played clearly demonstrated that he's 100% ready to be you know, in the mix in terms of being Brian's backup next year. And when Brian gets sold like five months from now, then uh, Munjoma will be ready to play You know, within reason. He'll be ready to play right away. Um, and because we are the uh, Kit Nerd podcast of record, we should at least take note, and I'm going to go around and ask, what is your reaction to the new alternate Dallas Stars black with the Dayglow green trim sweater they debuted the other day? Dan, I'll let you go first, since oh, you're our resident hockey buff. Huh? 
I said, oh, it's bloody lovely. You like it? I do. Buzz? I like it as a uh, third jersey. If that was a... But that's what it is. I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. I like it. I like it because it is a third jersey. I like it as a third jersey. Third jerseys to me are fine when they're gimmicky and weird and crazy. I'm on board. You know, second jerseys I don't, or primaries, I don't like them to be crazy and weird. Would you have liked it to have been a, uh, not a third jersey, Dan? Would you do you like it enough for it to be like their away jersey or home jersey? Well, I mean, you know, it would, it would have to replace the green, and it, it can't do that. That's victory greens, the the team's color, right? Um, but no, I mean, uh, like you say, as a third jersey, it's perfect. It's that uh, that skyline green off the Bank of America or whatever building, and you know, it definitely. Uh, Definitely a very eye-catching look and, and something they haven't had in a long time. Yeah, it makes me contend that the much-derided uh, Dallas Mavericks City jersey that also had the day, you know, the Dayglow green and some of the uh, gradient blues was largely unliked because of the graffiti writing of Mavs, not because of the color scheme of, Probably, the, sh- yeah. of the shirt. Yeah, I think you're yeah, right about that. Definitely. I think that's what kind of made it look too clowny. And well, too much of a bit. As we often say with these Jersey funky Jersey ideas, it's about execution. You can have lots of great ideas, but if you don't execute, it doesn't work. You know, and this new one looks like a Tron thing, which I'm on board with. I think it looks cool. It does. I will say though, the only problem I have with this is that I think that the way the, the, the day glow on the black sticks out, it really highlights the one, one of the few flaws in that logo that I dislike that just drives me nuts, which is that weird space of the triangle of the right part of the star where there's that little gap where there shouldn't be a gap. And I, in, in this particular shirt, it sticks out like a sore thumb and it makes me nuts. It's a terrible design. I don't know, Dan, if you've picked up on that because uh, it's, it, it's, it's always bad in the normal just sweaters and the normal logo, but here it's, just, it's, it's accentuated quite badly. I can't say I have, but I will definitely look it up. I'm surprised as a design guy you haven't picked up on that. Look for the little the little missing space of the right arm of the star where it connects back into the D. They had a design issue where they couldn't connect it or it would mess up the shape of the D, so they left this little blank triangle of dead mm. space, and it makes it look like the part of the star is broken. I see that. That's always driven me nuts about that logo. I thought it was cliche to do the D in the first place, but that element of the logo just now, once somebody pointed that out to me, I can't help but not see it, and it drives me nuts. It's on the legs, too. Say that again? Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Yeah, Yeah, the little dead space right there on the the right point of the star, right where it connects to the D, there's an empty space in it. It makes sense because if you look at the D between the right and the right lower part, it makes the the angle on the shadow. No, 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 no. You can say it it in all the proper British uh, language you want to. It's bad. (laughs) It always will be. It's terrible design. (laughs) We shall agree to disagree. Uh, oh, you're so polite. All right. Well, uh, all right. So we've the uh, North Texas SC logo. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm with you on that actually. <laughs> that reminded me somebody a couple weeks ago when the, uh, when logo talk was coming out, I can't remember whose logo it was. Maybe it was the St. Louis logo or, um, 
uh, St. Louis logo or whatever was coming out, and somebody was like, well, couldn't Dallas just kind of like re... Oh, I know what it was. It was when the Houston goofiness was coming out. Mm. And somebody said, why don't, why don't the Hunch just redesign or do a little update to the Dallas logo? And and uh, I said, well, because my reply was, they'll never pay anybody to do it. And I said, well, they've got like internal teams. And then I was like, nope, no, God, no. And I showed them the North Texas logo and shut that. You can show them that crappy 25-year thing with the football lines and the 25 in the wrong font and the ball turned into a unicorn and all that. That terrible. I know it's not a nice thing to say, but I will repeat it. It's just a club without any style. Nah, that's true. Um, okay. Well, uh, once again, Dan, thanks for rushing home from uh, whatever job it is that you do that we, Buzz and I, are still confused as to who you work for or what it is you do day in and day out. I'm sure it's very important, but thanks for rushing uh, the home. The CIA, to, uh, yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> important. <laughs> MI5. <laughs> no, the Addison no, branch. Do. Yeah. We do have a government agency on our building, though. Really weird. You walk up to their floor and some, like, IT guy slash bodybuilder comes out and like menacingly stares at you. Oh, have you uh, tried to kick him in the shin or anything like that? No, because I would be shot. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, showing up for the pod tonight. Thanks for your thanks. And thanks for uh, hosting and making us sound good. Uh, I tr- uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, Buzz, thank you for all your observations and time. And thank you, FC Dallas curious fans we will speak to you next week i assume on another fun-filled edition of third degree the podcast get that Yeah.